Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today, we are talking to Ellen Marie Kazel, who I've just met recently. I met her in December at the Stage Managers Association holiday party in New York City. Uh, it was a bit intimidating for me to walk into because I didn't think I would know anybody there. Um, so I'm very grateful that Ellen Marie came up and introduced herself to me. She is the, is it the president of the Stage Managers Association? The chair. The chair of the Stage Managers Association. She is also the interim production manager at Otterbein University Theater and Dance and the production manager at Akron School for the Arts, as well as a fellow and member of USIT, among many, many other things. So welcome to this week's podcast. Thank you. Uh, our first question is, and you told me a little bit about this when I met you in December. How did you get into theater? I know you kind of told me you've had like multiple careers within your theater career. So how did you find yourself in the position that you are now? <laughs> well, that's a big question. I know. <laughs> yes, that's a, considering my career, that's a weird question. But I, I found myself in theater. Um, I, I always liked shows when I was a kid. I would always do the multiple dystrophy car carnivals and be the producer. I always wanted to be the producer of the show, never mm -hmm. wanted to be in the show. Um, so we had a lot of shows when I was younger. So I always thought I would be in theater. and. Then I just kind of derailed at some um, some point and went into business. I was a big junior achiever. I was in drum corps, you know, band, the usual sort of stuff in school. And then when I got to college, I did the Russian roulette of many, many, many degrees and finally <laughs> found theater as a performer and realized where I really preferred to be was backstage as a stage manager. And Tim O'Sell, who is a theater director extraordinaire, made me a stage manager. That's wonderful. So you learned in school. Yes, I learned in school. Um, basically, it's one of those things where when I was in school, it was you're the stage manager. So David Bidinger was the stage manager before me, the stage manager, air quotes, and he did all of the shows. And then I, once Tim discovered that I liked stage managing, I did his first and last show and a lot of shows in between and opera scenes and anything that needed a stage manager. So I'm a little self-taught and I'm a little trained by the professors that chose to take time and show me the ropes. That's exactly how I learned. Like there was no stage management class when I was in school. They were just like, oh, you like this here. And then, you know, mm -hmm. on breaks and beforehand, they'd be like, oh, you should do this. And this is how you do this paperwork. And that was just kind of how I learned to stage manage. What, so then did, what school did you go to? I went to the University of Minnesota Duluth, where I did a lot of stage managing after my many degree choices. And then I took one semester off and went to the University of Georgia, where I did, um, I was the scenic charge artist on the visit, and I was the ASM on the visit. And then I went, that was just basically for a break. And then I went back and finished my degree and ended up getting my master's degree from Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. And that is in stage management. But again, I was following somebody to that school and they didn't have a program and they said we could make a program for you. And basically what happened was I ended up teaching 
a lot of the undergraduates, in fact, one of the reasons I'm here is because an undergraduate who was one of my students recommended me. And then I uh, got my degree by stage managing all of the things while I was there. So. so you kind of made up your own degree. I did. I made up my own degree and and ended up in finding the thing that I like the most of all, which is why I'm so very jealous of you, is my favorite. <laughs> favorite favorite thing to stage manage is opera um but the way I got my first opera job was very strange I walked in and had three advisors one was in dance one was in theater one was in opera and my advisor George Sherman said why don't you go over and talk to Ed Payne because he you know introduce yourself because I was going to do the Mikado and I said that I was really excited to stage manage my first full-length opera and I walked over and Ed was very excited to meet me and he sat down and he's talking to me and all of a sudden he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he picks up his phone and he calls Opera Columbus huh. and he said, I know you need a stage manager. I have this great stage manager. She's really experienced and she's really terrific and she'll be great for you. And then he hung up the phone and he said, you have a job over Thanksgiving break. And I went, holy crap. Because <laughs> I just told you I only did scenes, right? You heard me say that. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's La Traviata. It's Janet Bookspan. It'll be great. I said, okay. <laughs> and there you go. So did you know how to read music? Obviously, because uh, you did the scenes. Well, because I did the scenes and because I was in band and because mm, I was in a singer right. and because I was in drum corps and I, I learned to read music loved to read music I just wasn't very talented I was always a very bad third clarinet player <laughs> but you could read enough music to call an opera I, I could and I taught myself to call from a score I mean I love calling from a score I, I, I like the challenge of finding the line of music that mm -hmm. speaks to my brain which isn't necessarily the line of music that speaks to anybody else's brain because I tend to hear the the woodwinds because I'm a woodwind player Interesting. So if there's an oboe line or a bassoon line, I'm probably going to hear it more often than maybe if it's a cello or, you know, or something brass. It's How just, does that work with just like uh, piano reduction scores? Well, I don't, I usually call from the conductor score. I really? Have, That's oh, so interesting. Yeah, I've called from the conductor scores a lot of times because I don't I don't know where the line is that I'm going to find. And I, I don't like a piano score because I don't think it tells it you. It cuts so much out. Yeah, it does. It does. And I don't always need it. I'll, I'll Frankenstein it if I have to, but I, I don't always need the whole score. But I like the comfort of having the score. I remember when I called called a series of operas at uh, San Diego or yeah, San Diego Opera. And I just remember the score for Peter Grimes was so beautiful. I, I just, it was, it was beautiful just to sit there and read the music and mm -hmm. know that it was getting played and watch it, watching it happen. It was just, a, I, I don't know. I just love music, which is probably why I like opera so much. That's kind of why I went into opera because I knew when I first started stage managing that I wanted to do something that included music, either musical theater or opera. It just, it had to be something that had music in it you know and and that's mm -hmm. how I led to opera but because we both grew up listening to music and in choir and took Cindy took piano and violin and I took clarinet and so music's always been a big part of our life we didn't take them for very long <laughs> I mean we were in choir through school but not playing the instruments <laughs> well, I took piano for like four years maybe three or four years 
And then it just got to the point that like, I couldn't do theater and choir and piano. It just like, wasn't enough hours in the day. Yeah. To do all the things, but. It takes time. It takes time. I, I, I did it all the way through high school, but I think it's mostly because I wanted to be the drum major in the marching band. Mm. which I ultimately got to check off my bucket list. So that was good. Yay. (laughs) That's wonderful. So how did your first show at Columbus go? Did you pull it off or was it kind of a nightmare? It wasn't bad. Um, Janet was great. Janet Booksman is one patient director and we had a really good, but very young cast. Um, And I got on well with the general manager at that, at that time. Um, He left the next year, unfortunately. But I got on really well. Uh, Leo Shannon, I think, was his name, and he went ended up in Chicago the next season. But when I got to the stage, I remember I had, um, you know, I I walked over to the prop table, and this this guy looks at me. He's probably in his I don't know fifties or some sixties, and he says, "You can't be the stage manager. You're a woman." I said, "Oh." <laughs> But I am. <laughs> and I was, you know, young and pissy. I was probably, you know, 22, 23 years old. And I, I looked at his prop tables and I said, that's exactly how I do my prop tables. This is so cool. And then I started looking at his prop tables. And after that, he decided I was okay. Mm-hmm. And he would bring me water at my station, iced water at wow. my- at my lectern when I was calling shows, it wow. was quite a thing. So I, I dodged a bullet there and I love Traviata and it's, uh, um, I'm a very big fan of the movie, pretty woman. And I, every time mm-hmm. they do that scene where she watches mm-hmm. Traviata, cause I've done it like three times. I've just like, I'm so in, I can't stop looking at it or watching it. That's probably <laughs> why I love that movie. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie since I did Traviata, so now you make me want to go back and rewatch Pretty Woman so that I can watch that scene what again. What he says about opera is pretty, pretty dead on. The first time you, the first time you you watch opera or see an opera or experience an opera, you're either going to love it and hate it. If you love it, you will love it forever. I think that's true. Yeah, I think it's most people don't like grow to love it. They either like it or they don't like it. If they don't like it, they like never go back and try to see it again. Right, which is sad because there's lots of kinds of opera. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. There's, you know, you could do modern opera or chamber opera or grand opera, and it's, to me, all so different. So you could like one and not like the other one. And exactly. I always think that Play Miz is an opera, and I think Phantom's an opera. And, you know, people are like, it's not an opera. Oh, yeah, it pretty much is. <laughs> it is, yeah, there's some talking, but... it's, it's almost all sung, at least yeah. Or it is all sung. I can't remember Phantom. But yeah, it's all sung. And really, that's the only definition of what an opera is. So, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. So I I know when we talked in December as well, and you just reminded me of this by making the comment about, you know, this props guy saying you're a woman. You're also the first woman to stage manage at San Diego Opera. How was yeah. that? That was good. I, uh, challenging, again, because the, you walk into those and this was back in the eighties and you walk into the, onto the stage and they just, they're not used to seeing a woman be the stage manager. Um, Mm -hmm. I was very, I was very disciplined. I remember I would always wear a suit, Mm -hmm. skirt suit, 
uh, with, you know, nice low heels um, with hose. I mean, it was back in the day where you, it was not very comfortable, but that's how I dressed. I was just, I was determined that I would look like the manager that I was portraying in right. that particular role. And it, I mean, Peter Grimes was good because James Lockhart was a very nervous conductor, and I think he took to me very well. I did have some um, fun with assistant directors on the rehearsal process of that show, because when I was at Upper Columbus, we didn't have assistant directors. Mm -hmm. So when I was at San Diego, that was my first experience with, you don't do all of this. The assistant director does this part or that part. Um, but I think that I've always been really more um, attuned to the technical staff on the show. And I think that helps me because I understand what they do. Mm -hmm. I can speak the language and they don't pretend to know everything. And I think <laughs> I, that very young is like, hey, girl, you know, you don't know anything. So you're going to learn from these people that are here all the time because it's their house. I think that really carried me through both San Diego opera and into the operas that I did at Long Beach and the ballets because the stage crew was so helpful and they could have been really difficult. But after they got over the first shock and realized I wasn't going to tell them how to do their job, then they were fine. That's kind of the experience that I found and and I've worked with crews that other women have said oh they're very difficult to work with but like you said kind of af after the first day or after the first meeting and they kind of realized who I am and how I work then I've never had a problem with anyone since then but sometimes it is kind of a shock especially when I was very young you know walking in and you know most of them can be my father and them knowing that I was the stage manager was kind of a yeah. shock to some of them but uh after I showed that I, you know, knew what I was talking about, but I wasn't going to tell them how to do their job exactly, it usually went easier after that. But that sure. even works as the technical director. I'm like, dude, I hired you as the Emmy because you know how to be an Emmy. I don't know how to be an Emmy. So I'm going to say we have this much time, this much money. We need to get this light plot hung. I expect you to figure it out. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but there's also the other side when you don't know a show. I mean, surely as a technical director, you've worked on shows maybe that have been done before where there are people on the team that might be below you that know, or not below you, but under your supervision that know things that you don't know. You have to mine that valuable knowledge and yeah. show them respect their their seniority of place. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm like, dude, if you know how to do this better than me, absolutely. Like, Let's talk about it. Let's try it because I don't know that, everything. That's exactly right. Because I, when I walked into the, uh, my friend had recommended me for a, a ballet position. I'm not going to say where in case she hears this, but I walked in <laughs> and the, I'm trying to call the stupid tree grow and it is impossible. I mean, I had watched it like five times on video, never seen ballet live. And I'm calling it. I have to call it. I have to we're doing pyro so I'm slapping this guy on the back and I have to run up stage and run down stage and flick cue lights and call cues and then run back up stage and smack this guy on the back right so I, <laughs> I'm a little bit over my head and that stupid tree was not growing and I could hear the lighting designer getting really frustrated so I walked over to the rail and I said John dude listen <laughs> I 
am having a lot of trouble with this one cue and I know you know where it goes. So I'm going to run up and smack my guy in the back, call my light cues and flick those lights and I'll catch up with you and you just take it in the right place so the lighting center can do their job, okay? And he respected me so much for saying that and it went very well after that. And eventually That's really awesome. Up. Yeah. Nope, I'm good. (laughs) Cindy? (laughs) I was going to say that's a big step because sometimes stage managers, I think I was like this in the beginning. Hopefully I've gotten away from this, but you know, you're so determined to call every single cue that you have a hard time letting go and being like, okay, you take this one on your own. Well, yeah. And that's what she had told him. She said, you don't take a cue unless I do it. Yeah. I guess she had a lot of trouble. Yeah. So. I don't want to have a lot of trouble because like we don't have that much time. <laughs> yeah. It's very little time to do this. And it depends and- on the people you're walking, you're working with. I mean, there's some people where I'm like, dude, just do whatever the stage manager says. Cause you're not paying enough attention to do it on your own. And then other people I'm like, if the stage manager can't get this cue and you know where it goes, just take it. <laughs> yeah, but it depends on good. the people in the designer and the show and a bunch of things. Right. It's called giving them what they need, not what they want, right? What they need, what they need is for the cue to go in the right place. I just did Match Girl here and I hadn't followed the ballet in a long time. And there were a couple of cues where I would look over at Jessica Palagano, who's one of my students, but now she's she's at Disney, but she was, you know, graduating student from Modern And I looked over because something just all of a sudden changed. She said, yeah, you're getting it. <laughs> You'll get it. And I was like, well, you know, I've got four days to do this ballet and I'm really grateful. <laughs> you don't, I, I mean, not that I can't call a show. I can sure call a show, but when I don't have a score and I had to make up my, my script and I'm calling it for the second time blind pretty much. Cause I really only seen it once and we changed right. it. And the, it was four different versions of a ballet that we call that we did four times in one week. So oh, wow. every time was different. Wow. One, time, one time the ballet was was a short version with the orchestra. The other time it was a cut version, but to a tape. The other kind, it was a full version. And then all four casts were different because they changed the leads all the time. So it was wow. like, that was, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's th- a good word. Yeah. That's, that sounds challenging. Fun times. <laughs> And Some people don't need rehearsals, so you just picked it up for. I start. For I called my my first rehearsal. I called the show for the yeah. lighting designer who preloaded in the old um, lighting cue the set, cues. right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't necessarily fit the dancers that were doing it this time. So, so yeah. they were trying to. They were even changing cues on you while oh, you yeah. were calling it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That sounds fun. It was. <laughs> <laughs> the things we do. But looking back, probably it was a lot of fun because when you call something that's that challenging, then to me, much more rewarding in the end. I think the rust fell off pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> Get back into it. <laughs> so you worked in opera for a long time. And then what made you transition from opera to I don't remember what you did after that, but you're, you don't do opera anymore for the most no. part, correct? Yeah. Well, mostly because I can't, people say I haven't done it in too long. So thank God that they let me call the ballet. Cause that helps. But um, I actually got my part at Great Lakes doing theater 
and with Vincent Dowling's artistic director I worked with for a long time and I I'd gone to San Diego and did theater and then I got the got the job because I had done the Opera Columbus gig. I got the San Diego Opera job when I couldn't get hired at the Globe because for many reasons I wasn't what they were. I mean, they basically the guy told me they had plenty of straight females, so they didn't need me. You can cut that out if you want to. <laughs> but, um, no, I was told something once that because I wasn't a young gay guy that I was not going to get any more PA jobs on Broadway. And right. I was like, like oh, really? thanks. Yeah, thanks. Really. I, I, two seconds thinking about should I just say no I'm not gonna lie um <laughs> that, it's what happens in this down. world so yeah I know it's very funny but so I, I did the opera stuff and then I was supposed to do another contract at San Diego Opera but then I made the mistake of going up the coast and visiting Vincent who I hadn't seen for a while and he wanted me to come help him do something just for a month which was in between the time when I was um on contract for the opera and I wasn't on contract yet. So I went up with Vincent and while I was there, the production stage manager left. So I ended up being a PCPA for a year. So I was doing wow, sort of rep theater, teaching theater, outdoor, indoor theater. Cindy, and weren't then, you a PCPA for one summer? I did. No, I never went to PCPA. Oh, okay. I have a couple friends who did cause I went to school. Well, I did, um, where was I? In Stockton, a couple of people that I went to school with went to PCPA. But yeah, yeah, a lot of people end up there or go through there at some point in their career. If they don't do that, then they do Utah Shakes or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of those stopping places. Um, but I went from there, I went to do Chorus Line for seven months because I wanted to go back home. And it was a Chan Hessen dinner theater contract. One of the it's the largest dinner theater in the country. It wasn't the largest room. Carousel here in Ohio actually had the largest room while it existed. But I was able to do Chorus Line, and that was a really interesting, just sort of doing a long show, doing something for yeah. seven. That was, a, that was a good experience that I hadn't had yet. So I just kind of did lots of different things, ended up back in L.A., then I did opera, then I did ballet. Um, and then I did a lot of theater in between, a lot of brand new theater. I ended up back in L.A. doing a lot of developing shows. I did a show called Funny Business, which is like a chorus line for comics. Uh, That (laughs) one took me through the the riots, right? So one of our comics was doing this this, uh, rap comedy act about being Black, and we were afraid what was going to happen when he came back. And it was like literally through the riots. Um, I ended up working theater at Actors Alley, which is in the Valley, when the El Portel was just starting up, we were like three weeks from opening and the Northridge earthquake hit and we ended up in a tent on the grounds of the, of the television academy right across the street. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just wow. did two shows at, at, Northridge, at Northridge, at El Portel, and they were explaining, you know, what was original and what had to be rebuilt after the earthquake. Yeah, well, the entire inside had to be rebuilt. And I don't yep. even know if what they what they came up with is what they ended up with. It was, it was, it was a pretty cool thing, but we were doing a lot of fundraising from the government. I was like the managing director really wasn't really stage managing. And that's what kind of threw me out into management. I worked for the Santa Monica playoffs for seven years too. Um, it's, it's all on top of each other. So it kind of circled around. So I did a lot yeah. of managing during those times. And then I ended up, 
running a theater company because I, I had a young son, two years, two years old, and I got a job running a theater company in Akron, Ohio. Well, there's not a lot of theater in Akron, not a lot of theater in Ohio. I mean, not theater that pays a lot of money in Ohio. So I, uh, was kind of there and then I ended up doing development and then some teaching mm -hmm. and then and then a friend from graduate school got me back into theater at the Cleveland Playhouse and I did a few things there I got to watch a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright write a play in the room wow oh, that's cool yeah that's really awesome um and I got to do you know some really good some really good work there then ended up back in teaching again. So I did three years at Ohio University and now I'm here at Otterbein. I'm stage managing. I stage managed again, which was made me miss it all the more. And uh, I don't know, I guess I figured out that what I do, my, what I've done my whole life is somehow I've taught, somehow I've been teaching. Either I'm teaching my assistant or I'm teaching the people I'm working for mm -hmm. the managers or um you know I'm teaching the artistic director I'm working with I feel like I'm always like in a teaching position which is it's kind of an interesting thing I feel sure. like good teachers that's just what they do mm -hmm. just like good managers no matter where you are you just end up like managing people or managing the situation even if it you know right, right. you're not hired to do so yeah I love the experience of theater that you have though there's so many people that I talk to now in opera that said that say to me that opera stage managers can't stage manage theater and theater stage managers can't stage manage opera and I always argue with them because I'm similar to you where I've my whole life just done both and I could switch back and forth very easily in my mind mm -hmm. you know it's I don't necessarily think of opera as different stage management. I kind of look at it per show and I just do what that show needs. So I think it's wonderful that you do a similar thing. You know, you weren't just theater and you weren't just opera and you were able, even at the same time, going back and forth between the two. Did you yeah, find that easy or hard? I, I found it easy, but I don't, yeah. I like, I like variety and I, and I am exactly in the camp that you are. I think that every show is its own individual challenge. Yes. And it might be harder to stage manager, stage manage for Columbus Dance Theater than it is to stage manage for Long Beach Ballet. It might yeah. be harder to do Bent for seven months, which I also did for seven months in a tiny little theater, the Catalina Playhouse, than it was for me to do chorus line, which was much bigger and it was a much bigger contract, much bigger stakes, but it was music. For me, music is like, it's easy, it's prescribed. Everyone has a place, you know what's gonna mm -hmm. happen. When mm -hmm. you're doing a theater play, I mean, you never know what's gonna happen. Things right. are not as, as, they're not as they seem. And I, and I always caution um, the people that I work with, the young students I mentor, I just had a conversation with a kid from UT Austin today who called me out of the blue because I'm on the mentoring list for the fellows for USITT and he he's doing music and opera. And I said, that's great. I love that you're doing that. What do you want to do? And he says, I want to do Broadway. I said, well, that's great. I'm glad that you want to do something that's far from what you're doing right now. And I think what you're doing is exactly good preparation for that. Mm-hmm. So he was happy to find somebody who believed that, that he could do both of those things. Yeah. 
Um, he's part of a program where there's only six shows, including the opera. And there are 19 stage managers. And I said, well, you got to find a way to get your experience in. It's important. Your yeah, they thought. <laughs> that was the advantage of my undergrad. It was so tiny that I pretty much just stage managed every single one of the shows because I was the only one at school that wanted to be a stage manager. Right. And if they overlapped, you know, they would pull somebody else in, an actor or somebody to call some of the um, the dramas that I didn't have time to call or didn't want to call. But pretty much I got all the experience I wanted because <laughs> I was the only one who wanted to do that. So it was to my advantage. Yeah. Whereas I got to do the same thing, but I I didn't do sound. I was in like an A2 for an opera or two, but I got to be lighting designer and I worked in the costume shop a little bit and I built the sets and I was TD and I stage managed and I did props because there was only five of us in the graduating class and most of them wanted to be actors. <laughs> so I got to do everything else. It's true. I mean, that is the advantage of the small program. The mm-hmm. disadvantage is you don't have anybody to kind of mentor you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you're doing a lot of it on your own. So if you're really driven or just crazy. Yeah. It's probably that one. Then you will, you will find work. Work will find you. Yeah. You if don't you have the big. That, if you need that push, I feel like my son is that way. If you need that push, that little kick in the butt backside, then there might not be something for you that helps you do that. I also feel it's a, and this might be sexist or stereotyping, but I feel a lot of females in high school and college can be more driven than males because like my husband and our brother, like they just didn't really know what they wanted and they did what they did and they didn't really figure out what they wanted till like halfway through college where Sydney and I were like really driven all the way through junior high, high school, got good grades, did extracurricular activities and like pushed ourselves. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I I would, I have a first row seat to that because I'm a boy scout leader. (laughs) Nice. I am. And I was very concerned about the change in boy scouts to add women in, not that Mm -hmm. women should have the opportunity, but, uh, in this case, boys learn a lot of things that they need to know, and they learn that they need to be self-reliant and responsible. And I was afraid that having the women, or the young women, in the program, I said, they're not going to have any trouble getting an Eagle Scout. They know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Getting a gold award is way harder because you have to do everything yourself. An Eagle Scout project is, by nature, a leadership activity. So yeah. you must engage others in the activity, lead them and have them do the work. Um, but I'm glad to see that they've separated it, but kept it together. And I think that will be okay. Uh, but young men need a different sort of, um, for lack of a better word, their Petri dish, you know, it's, they take longer to develop. Hmm. So they need more time. And I think that time that they get at Boy Scouts to be themselves and learn how to cook and learn how to be good men and learn how to be good um, leaders managers and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. All the things that they do in their eco badges that makes them better people, better citizens, better humans, better 
you know, contributing to society type of individuals. They learn in that Boy Scout realm um, without having to compete with girls who really are more competitive in my experience. Yeah, I we're absolutely more competitive, I think, in general. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because for so many years... We've we couldn't had, compete. Yeah. And so now we're all trying to prove that we can be exactly what we want to be and do what the boys do. But yeah, I feel in high school and college, it's just a very different learning curve process between the males and females. And probably outside of that. But I mean, once you get out of college, everybody's at such different ages. You're not stuck with everybody within three years of yourself. Right. I think women also, because they have to they've always been expected to have the children keep the home, but in some mm-hmm. cases have the children keep the home and then go out and also be the wage owners. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's not as often, that doesn't as often happen to men. It does happen. Um, yeah. But not as often. I mean, it's just assumed that if a woman is alone with her children, that she'll work and that she'll also take care of them. Yeah, that's just we've even just being a stay at home mom, uh, whether it's by choice or you have to or however it works, you're still expected to cook and clean and go grocery shopping and manage the kids and pay the bills and everything like that, which is is a manager position, except you're only managing yourself and possibly some kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really true. And I know it sounds I mean, this, it's so, it's interesting to have this kind of a conversation because you can hardly have this kind of conversation anymore because it's seems so old fashioned or taboo, you know, like women can do everything, but nobody can do everything. No, nobody wants to do everything. No, nobody wants to do everything, at least not full time. Like you could do it for a weekend or a few weeks or whatever, but. Yeah, but I think it's good that. Like the Boy Scouts, our dad was a, an Eagle Scout, and we worked on a couple friends' Eagle Scout projects in high school. And yeah, those guys were amazing. Like just well-rounded, very friendly, got good grades, but weren't stuck up, like just good humans. And uh, I know one of them, Aaron Lankook, is he's a lawyer now, and who knows what he's doing. But it's just, yeah, I think it's a good program, the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, but we didn't no mini Girl Scouts. <laughs> we were for a couple of years, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, the, the Boy Scout program is very specific. And it's, that's why it's good. It's a scout program. And that's why the venturing program is, is strong. And it's good because there are opportunities for people to be involved. Now, from age 11, uh, girls can be involved in scouting. Uh, the Boy Scout program, which I, I just think it's set up differently. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, I feel the Girl Scouts, we were part of a group uh, in elementary school. So I guess we were brownies and then Girl Scouts and then the group fell apart. But by then we got into like theater and choir and all. But it wasn't as connected to other Girl Scouts. There there was a book and you got badges and all, but it just seemed a little more localized and not so widespread. Whereas I feel the Boy Scouts is, the whole United States has camps and has guidelines and has things that kind of connects them to others whereas we never did anything with other girl scout troops except for what one weekend a year at at a camp Mm -hmm. yeah and that connection is really important i think yeah getting other other kids um 
sometimes for kids going to camp or, or going to campouts is the only time that they get to be with others because they don't have siblings. And I think That's to be away from my... your be away from your parents and be with just the camp leaders and other boys. And there's a lot of growing and figuring out like you have to do the dishes because mom and dad aren't going to do the dishes and you have to pack your own clothes and you have to set up your own tents because mom and dad aren't going to do it for you. Right. True. And now that we've talked about Boy Scouts for 10 minutes. Yeah, but you're a technical director. So many technical directors are Eagle Scouts. You start asking them. I don't, I actually don't meet many TDs. I think that's, uh, and I don't think I've ever met another female TD. Really? I but usually I, I get brought in because them. people need TDs. And so I don't. Like as a stage manager, you work with ASMs and other like production stage managers. As a TD, you don't really work with other TDs. And so rarely do I come across any. I've met some. Uh, when we did Allegiance, I worked with Brad Inlow, who Cindy went to school with, or he was working at the school. And so I know him, but I've never really worked with any. So you worked at Allegiance? Yeah, I was the TD for that at uh East West Players and JACCC. I love that show. Yeah, it was a really good show. Like I've been trying to see it since I heard about it in in San Diego. And then when Kai and I went out to visit Cindy. San Francisco, I think, wasn't it? No, it started in San Diego. Ah. Or at least that's where I first heard about it. Um, then we went out to New York to visit Cindy and it closed like the week before we got there. <laughs> and I was like, no. Oh. So when East West players called me and said, hey, we need a state uh, technical director, I said, yes, I've been wanting to do this show forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I was a follower and I was so excited to see the show. I went, made sure that was the one show I saw that summer when I went in. Very nice. Yeah, Cindy even flew out for the opening of it. It was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. So then you know that's the stage manager, um, Morgan Japansky. Yep. Awesome. She's great. I met with her when I was in LA because when I go to, I went for the stage managers association was doing a symposium at the taper. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to, I, I always take an opportunity to meet with other stage managers, but then I went back this summer and Morgan and I hadn't had a chance to meet because she was, I think she was working on the show at that time, or maybe I met her briefly. I don't remember. But she's pretty busy around. And that was great. Yeah, she's okay. actually a twin too. But I, I haven't... Allegiance was so busy, I didn't talk to her much about That's her twin. Right. But right. She told me that. <laughs> yeah. You always you don't even really know who has twins. It's exactly. Really... That's why it was funny, because when I met her... I forget how it came up, because uh, we'd started the podcast, so I probably said something about the podcast, and then she said she had a twin, and I know Brad Inlow has a twin, and his twin uh, is in New York, and Chris does, like, is it wigs? Wigs and makeup, uh, I think? Yeah, hair and makeup. Then the ASM walked in, uh, Brad, uh, Brandon, and I was like, do you have a twin? Like, that's the first thing I said to him, and he was like, uh, no. I was like, oh, well, everybody else does, <laughs> so I was just wondering if you did, too. <laughs> Apparently, you have to have a twin to be part of this group. <laughs> One of the directors that I worked with in opera is a twin, and I understand that his brother, whose name I can't think of right now, um, it's Chris Alden, and his brother's also an opera director. 
Yeah, we've heard that name a couple times. I've not actually worked with Chris, but it's come up a few times in podcasts that the, the two twins direct. Yeah. I haven't worked yeah. with either one of them yet, but we're going to have to, I'm going to have to reach out to them and, and try to get them on the podcast. Cause that would be great. I love Chris Alden. That's the reason I went back to Long Beach Opera is cause I was, I really wanted to work on his show and they basically made me a deal that I'd have to, I'd have to rehearsal stage manage the dead. If I wanted to do Hopper's wife with Chris, cause Hopper's wife was a smaller, more modern opera but I wanted to do it and it was a pleasure. It's funny. Theater is so funny. You know, you don't work for somebody for a long time and then you come back together and it's like, you've never not worked with them again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it's also funny it. that you go to, you've worked with uh, LBO because that's kind of how Cindy got started in opera. And oh really? Even like yeah. last night I went to LBO's most recent show, Black Cat and hung out with some old friends from there. So we, uh, we've all run in the Long Beach Opera Circle. <laughs> yeah, John Sadler got me involved in that as he was working with them somehow. He's in Long Beach. But, you know, I meet so many stage managers now through the SMA that I'm really, I'm a really lucky person. I've met, well, really since I've been a member of the SMA, because even when I lived in L.A. and I was doing 99C Theater, I remember somebody came in through um uh oh, what's his name uh the mickey rooney was doing funny thing it happened on the way to the forum and i thought well that would be an interesting show to to observe so i went and observed with joel tropper and mickey rooney was he was a difficult little person <laughs> yeah very nice he, he he was telling everybody out loud in full voice how he wrote all the funny lines in the show and whatever but <laughs> Bill Tropper had me on headset he just kept going oh you're good you're good you're really good you're not making any re reaction at all. <laughs> like, uh, you know this is really hard because this guy's really famous and I don't want to make him mad because he sounds like he's a little mean but um, <laughs> but you know, I got that's a little angry and I got to go see Edwin Drood backstage um, which George Rose was in and he came up, you know, people that are so famous that are just unbelievably famous, like Tommy Toon, who I've also worked with, will just come up and introduce your, themselves like you don't know who they are. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> utterly charming. He came up and said, I'm George Rose. And I said, of course you are. Yeah, we all know. Yeah, Cindy, when, when Cindy worked with uh, Daniel Radcliffe, yeah, I remember her calling oh me right God, after that God. and was like, he introduced himself to me. We know who he is. Yeah. It's like, no, the first thing he did was run in and be like, hi, I'm Dan. And I was like, yep. yep got it. <laughs> There's only one person that didn't do that, that I didn't, he didn't really introduce himself. And that was Mikhail Bershnikov. He did not introduce himself. Uh, Just handed me different numbers every night. <laughs> you call me at this number. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we keep, we keep mentioning SMA. Can you, because we, I don't think on this podcast at all have talked about Stage Managers Association. So can you so. tell us a little bit about the association as a whole? Yes. It is the only professional association for stage managers in the United States. It has about 800 members across the country and across the world. We have, uh, we're very active via our website. We're almost, we're all volunteer. And we have um, board members in 
many states across the country. We have representation like equity, Eastern, Western, and Central. And underneath the Eastern, Western, and Central directors, we actually have representatives from different areas. Like we have a representative from Milwaukee, one from New York, one from Denver, um, one in Las Vegas, places like that. So we tend to get our hands into a lot of different places. We have mm -hmm. um, a mentoring project. We have a document library. We have a podcast series that has um, 25 now uh, recordings of professional legacy stage managers, as well as women of Broadway that we have on our website that we host. Oh, yeah. I think I uh, when I was looking at the website, talking to Cindy about it, I need to add that to my podcast list. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a really good it's I think it's a really good series. Um, we've all the way from the woman who's done every single canon Shakespeare play in the canon who's retiring from the Atlanta Shakespeare Company to people like, you know, P Peter Lawrence and mm. Iremont and Jill Cordell. And it's it's a really interesting series. What what um, is the name of it? It's called there's one that's it's called um standing in the dark and so there's there's two different kinds there's a le there's the legacy podcasts and those are legacy stage managers and then there is a series we did that was women of broadway which our first vice chair did because she was interested to see how people managed having children and working in the business and so she yes. would interview six women on broadway who had had children while they were working and it was a really, it's a really interesting series. Um, we, so we do, we're basically educational support, professional support. Right now we're doing a, um, a, our first lecture series in New York City and working with softwares that people haven't worked with before, like Showflow and Final Draft and StageRite and QLab, things like that. And then we also are looking to include be more inclusive we've we've added an edi committee which is equity diversity and inclusion committee that's working with stage managers of color to support them better to find out what the needs are in their particular realm because there's not as much diversity in our field as there should be so i'm sure there are mm -hmm. different needs that um stage managers of color might have along with all the other needs that stage managers normally have. Um, and then we just recently reconnected back up to the Stage Management Association in Great Britain. And that's kind of how we started. Almost 40 years ago, we started because the they had a Stage Managers Association. There's this like 40 or 50 years old. And we didn't have anything. And they came over with Nicholas Nickleby and they were talking to our stage managers. And at that time, we didn't have any representation with equity. And so that was sort of our rallying call to become an association. But since then, we've grown into a lot bigger than that. So I've been the chair since about 2014, I think. I think five years I've been the chair. Um, when you step onto the SMA board as chair, then you be you stay on as past chair. So Maggie's been on for, I don't want to say how many years Maggie's been on the SMA board, but she's our third vice chair. I'm sure she's hoping I'll step down soon so she can step down because <laughs> the 
the way you step off is the next chair changes over. Um, but I think I think we've done a I think we've done a good job. I think we've grown the association in the last few years, and I think that if nothing else, I think the SMA has been a catalyst for making stage manager voices a lot louder across the country, in all areas. So how do you how do you get on or in the association? You can, we only have one official category of membership of which Cindy is a member is the professional membership. That is the only official category by bylaws. We have added through board action, a student category and an associate category. So you must be pursuing as a student, uh, a curriculum in stage management to qualify for a student membership. And we do check. You must be, to be an associate member, you either need to be in a career place where you're not quite ready to join as a professional member, but you're pursuing and interested in the career of stage management or a teacher of stage managers. As a Hmm. professional, you provide references and you join, pay the fee. We check it out. We put you in. You become a member. And you guys have... What? Do you guys do... I know Cindy went to a... Uh, like a Christmas holiday party? Do you guys do a lot of meetups in different areas? Is it kind of big group things, but also local things to say LA or San Diego or New York? All of those. We do all of those. Any member that wants to can host what we call an SMGO event. So um, we do those across the country and it's basically just a social event sometimes the denver stage managers generally tend to have a topic of some sort if a regional director is traveling to some area they might say hey i'm going to be in kansas city you know let's find some stage managers let's meet up i've been to dc several times to visit the the eastern regional director anthony who's located out of dc and we've had meetups there then the next level is sort of our symposium level where we have conferences, day-long or half-day-long conferences. Done some very successful ones in New York, L.A., and Chicago, um, and hoping to do some more out in the regions in the near future. And then the, the last thing is sort of our holiday party. Plus, we give out the only Lifetime Achievement Award for stage managers, our Dell Hughes Award. Nice! Yay! I love that. You also mentioned, and I think this is fairly new on the website, the um, the document page, or is it called document page or document library? It's, yeah, it just. I love it, that. Yeah, it's good to have that. I think that's a valuable resource, especially if you just need either you 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 know want a different way to do a piece of paperwork, or you just want to get an example of something, and that's about to get an ex- infusion of new paperwork. Um, because some of my students do very good paperwork. The person that I'm working for is, she's kind of a dynamo on paperwork. So I'm going to have them submit some of their formatting because it's very good. But I think that just having that resource available, I, maybe, I, maybe I didn't tell you this, but when I went to do the ballet, they didn't have a score or a script or anything for me. And I was able to email one of my students and say, hey, do you have that cue sheet you used to call the dance concert? was Mm -hmm. brilliant cue sheet I don't know if I used it the same way she did but she was able to send it to me and that was a really I don't I don't know what other people do for dance I just know this particular thing in the way that I usually do it which is in you know in the score to the music so Mm -hmm. 
it was kind of a nice, I liked that piece. I'd like to see what other dance stage managers do. I think that's always looking at other people's paperwork. Yeah. I said, I, I always am looking for paperwork. And since Cindy's a stage manager, I've often called Cindy and said, Hey, this stage manager doesn't have, you know, they, they don't know how to do this. They're a new stage manager, or I don't like their format on this. Send me what you have. And I'm still using the prop format that Darlene used at Long Beach Opera. And I've taken it to every theater I go to because it just makes sense and it works. <laughs> and so I've passed that off to a number of different people because yeah, why recreate the wheel? Somebody else already did. It's great. It works. Share it with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if I'm not going to use theirs exactly, sometimes as we talked about earlier, each show to me is so specific that the format that I might have for a uh, run crew paperwork isn't working for this specific production. So I'll go and, you know, ask my friends for documents or look on the SMA website and see what other people have used and kind of like collaborate something together. But I also love that it has opera stuff on there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, an opera who, what, where, which is not normal in, in other theater stage management paperwork. So I was very excited when I came across this page. We have, we get a lot of questions about opera. I mean, we probably need to get you on our Ask a Stage Manager panel. Yeah. Um, We have our, we have a couple of public programs and one of them is Ask a Stage Manager. And that's available to anybody, um, regardless if you're a member or not. And it's a panel of about 12 stage managers. And anybody can ask a question and then people get, the people on the panel get noticed that there's a question up on the board and then you go up and you can hmm. anonymously, or you can put your name if you want to uh, just answer the question. They'll say, you know, should I go to graduate school or mm-hmm. um, how do I start this? Or what is, what is a who, what, where for an opera paper, you know, opera paperwork, or I just got a job as a dance stage manager. Now what, you know, yeah, they, right. They now what do I do? <laughs> or it might be a parent saying my kid wants to pursue this stage management thing. I don't really think about it. Or it's, you know, all kinds of requests will come through there and we can't answer every single one of them. Sometimes they want to go, you know, I want to go observe Harry Potter. No, um, pretty much nobody observes Harry Potter. Because <laughs> everybody wants to do that. I want to do that. I'm not a stage wanna, manager. That's what I want to answer. I want to observe Harry Potter, but that's not going to be happening. Um, <laughs> but we have that. And I think it's a good, I think it's, it's good for us because one of the tenets of our mission and one of the things as a 501c6, we're, supposed to serve the entire profession and that's one way that we can serve the entire profession mm-hmm. are the like, symposiums open to everybody or is that just yes a, yes so that's so another way just, to help it's just a different level it's cheaper well basically right now if you we're doing a lecture series mm-hmm. in new york city i know which i'm bummed i'm out of town for almost every single one of the lecture series okay. but but if you're a member it's 25 dollars. if you're not a member it's 50 dollars now, you know what membership costs. So if you're going to go to two sessions. You like you paid for your membership. As a member because it's cheaper. <laughs> so, you know, and our symposiums are like $15. But if you're, if you're not a member, then you can pay the amount, which amounts to paying for a membership and paying for the symposium. And then you get, you get we put you on as a member for a year, unless you don't want to. You get a code and you could join for a year to yeah. see if it's worthwhile. That's um, really cool. It is cool. And, and and we're not we're not here to 
to uh, take a lot of money. I know that you'll hear that in the unofficial page, but but frankly, everything that we do is paid for by our dues money or what we take in for symposiums. And we don't, everything that we we get, we spend on the profession in some way. So right. I don't really feel like we charge a lot of money for anything, even though people think we do. I mean, I don't think it is. And just the fact, just all I've done so far is the um, the holiday party. But the fact that I could go hang out with there's like 75 other stage managers and I think we all got a free drink and food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that to me was almost kind of worth it because I got to meet you and I met Lauren Stern and I met a whole number of other stage managers that I never would have actually met if it hadn't been for that one event because I'm so much in the opera world that I don't really meet other stage managers that are not in opera. So it was really awesome to meet all these other stage managers. Mm-hmm. Plus I it think the, the paperwork section of it, like I wanted to look at that, but I'm not a member. <laughs> so right. I'm going to have to ask Cindy because I just am interested in what other people stayed, what other stage managers paperwork is. Cause as a technical director, um, half the time I'm doing the paperwork, half the time they're doing the paperwork, depending on the size of the house. And so I do a lot of who, what, where's or crew run sheets. And that's technically stage manager paperwork. But as a TD, I'm like, I want to know what it looks like or how people are doing it or a better way to do it if I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. It's small. It's, 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 like I said, it's about to get an infusion of some paperwork um, very <laughs> soon. As soon as I have like time. <laughs> that's always the trick <laughs> well replacing a show in our season and replacing a show always takes a lot more time than you know having chosen the season in advance mm-hmm. and i'm only here for four months so i have a lot to do in the next in four <laughs> three months. weeks while i'm here i'm only here for three more weeks and then my counterpart comes back who has the twins <laughs> oh good that you lead us to our next question because we're getting close to an hour I think and we try to keep it an hour so it's easier for people to listen to so do you have any twin stories well the one you know I worked for a, a, an opera director who's a twin and I think right. that's pretty cool that is yeah that's awesome and the other thing is I got this recent job because my uh, one of my students called me and said, um, did you know there was this position happening? And I said, no. And I pl- I called my friend TJ Gherkins, who's a lighting designer. And I said, you know, I would like to be considered for this. And, and he said that Kristen was having twins. So I'm very <laughs> excited because now every time I, I have a problem or a question, or if I text Kristen, usually I got pictures of the babies. Yes. <laughs> So Are they, I, that's kind of an exciting thing. The other thing is when I was in, um, there is a lot of twins around. When I was working at Actors Alley at the El Portel, I told you I worked at that theater company, um, which was Actors Alley at the time. And there was a set of twins and my son that were born around the same time. And um, so the twins and my son were kind of adopted by the theater company. And those twin boys are grown up so amazingly well. It's so fun to see them. I didn't see them for a long time, but, you know, twin babies are just so cute, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, best best of luck to your friend who just had twins, because I've been helping my sister-in-law with her baby, and and oftentimes I'm like, how do you do this with two? How did our parents do this with two? That's just, I can barely change the diaper on one of them because she's running around all the time. Well, that's exactly what Christopher 
talking about Kristen was saying she was first she was saying oh well, this is you know I was thinking oh great you know we'll just put them in a playpen in Doc's office well these were preemie twins right yeah so they, they usually are in public until April oh wow they said well that'll get you through season I hope you have good child care and she does they have family care and then they have some a good nanny that's coming in but she did talk about the the fun of you know, you're, you're holding the ankles of one and the other, you know, you got the other one is wet and, you know, yeah, exactly. I'm like, That's exactly oh, I can't imagine. I was my, my, I was alone after the first year of my son, I was pretty much on my own. Um, after the first, I don't know, I don't know how many months Steve got a job at the Sacramento theater company went up and then I had this little kid, you know, and he was just like, you know, I locked him in the car once for a minute and I totally freaked out. <laughs> I just, I, one kid, I can't, you know, I cannot imagine having two. I think that people yeah. that have two babies at the same time are, are doubly blessed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm sure you guys were angels. <laughs> well, our, well, our parents did say it sometimes was good because we would just entertain each other. You know, so yeah. you didn't, they didn't have to entertain us all the time. And then our brother came along, he's two and a half years younger. And they said, you know, he was much more of a handful because you had to pay attention to him all the time. Whereas Stacy and I, they would just like put us in a crib together and we were fine. So yeah, we could Plus only his... hope for your friend that she has a, a similar experience. Yeah. They're two girls. So that's a good thing. I think my, my, I would set my son down in an airport and turn around and he'd be gone. I mean, he'd just like <laughs> run away. Oh, the joy of kids. <laughs> well, yeah, and he was baby in a trunk. I mean, like, he'd been to five theater companies by the time he was two. I mean, it was, a, I, there's a teacher that I'm teaching with here, and I said, I said, Mark, I've seen you before. And he's, we figured out that I'd seen him in a rehearsal at the Kansas City Rep, and all he remembered was being with the baby. Really? Oh, yeah, you were, with, you were the girl with the baby. Yeah, I was the girl with the baby. <laughs> Yep. Still trying to work and take care of this kid. You have a, we have a friend who I went to university with, but Cindy did Birkenhair with, hair with um, Craig Koklo and his wife, Amanda, and they have three children. And those children have been to more countries and operas and everything than any adult I know. She, yep. she takes all three of them all around the world, different B&Bs for a month here, three months there, back in California for a couple weeks. And I don't know how she does it. It's very impressive to haul three children all over the place and homeschool them and everything. That's big trunk. I used to call Bono a baby in a trunk. That's a big trunk. Yeah, three it's very impressive. She's on Facebook all the time, and I'm like, "How do you do it? Like, I can't even keep my house clean with a dog, and you can't. <laughs> you keep three kids all around the world, following an opera singer." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a it's you know it's it's funny that that was the great thing about that podcast series about women of Broadway because Mandy was asking a lot of questions. Now she just had she just had a child surprisingly enough she was getting ready to have her own babies that's um, probably why she was asking <laughs> how do i do I this that's why she, i know that's why she was asking and it's it's funny too how you have to adjust once child is is um child is in place because i had started the mentoring the state the usit team stage management mentoring program and i started it 
when I was traveling around the world and I was doing this and I was ambassador to Sweden and, you know, I was doing all the stuff and, and pretty much just footloose and fancy free. And then I started the mentoring program and it was around for four years. And in Nashville, which was the fourth year, I took everyone aside and I said, you know, I'm starting to get to the point where I feel like maybe we should turn this over to somebody else. Cause you never know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, you, you, I want this program to continue. And the next year I showed up in Las Vegas with a two week old baby. <laughs> <laughs> and that happened. So yeah, they were like, yeah, guess we should do something about that. <laughs> so. That's really funny. But that's excellent that you can continue working and following your dreams and do theater and all with a kid. Unlike 50 years ago where you even look like you're pregnant and you'd have to leave work. So great. Uh, yeah, it is a good thing. And I think theater people are very understanding. Um, I think that Bono was raised the Actors Alley company just kind of adopted him. I would come to a, a company meeting when there were 55 people and I didn't think anything of it. He would just pass around along with the twins. Everybody would pass the babies around. That was just a thing. <laughs> yeah, um, right. People would take Bono when I had to go do stuff at USITT when he was like three years old. One time I remember turning around, realizing I hadn't seen my kid for like three hours and it was Mark <laughs> Heiser. Mark Heiser you know, ran Lincoln, the Lincoln Center Koch Theater for a while. And he was, you know, a really good guy. He had just taken off and Bob fell asleep in a booth. And he said, I didn't want to wake him up. I figured you'd be okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my boss, Greg Forbes, uh, when I first started at the Norris, he had uh, two kids and the youngest one was just learning to walk. And for nine years, you know, occasionally they'd be dropped off by grandma and grandpa. And I'd be like, okay. Go find a coloring book or draw on the whiteboard. Your dad has to go to a meeting. Let's go get Slurpees. Just that's what you do. Yeah. That would be me. Yeah. Let's go get food. Oh, yeah. Definitely give them Slurpees. I texted mom and asked if they could have Slurpees first. But then we went and got Slurpees. I under my desk at Weathervane. People come in and, and I was kind of cranky because I didn't like people to play the piano outside my office because I was writing grants. And so they thought I was kind of cranky. But somebody come in with a kid and I would be like, Hey, I've got, you know, toys and books and Hot Wheels and all, you know, all kinds of stuff under my desk. You just bring the baby right into the meeting with you because it's fine. We'll yeah. Just, got to do something with it. Now, if only the rest of the world could get on track with what the rest of us do. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's going to be a while. Well, it's yeah, a well. humanity thing. I, I, think, I think they're on the right track with um, as much as I get annoyed sometimes by comfort dogs. I think that we're on that right track because there are whole theater schools and high schools that have comfort dogs. And there's something about a dog that calms mm -hmm. people down. Well, mm -hmm. when it when it would get very stressful at the Norris, uh, and for a while my husband wasn't working, he would bring the dog up during tech week. And it would be like a 10 minute break and everyone would pet the dog and then we'd go back to tech and everyone was just calmer. They were covered in dog hair, but everyone was like, oh, I got to pet a dog. <laughs> oh, they get so excited. I bring Victor to school and um, my husband teaches high school and I'll walk him up to the school sometimes and I'll just wander into the classroom. We're not supposed to, but we do it anyways because too bad. <laughs> they can just suck it up. Yeah. Um, but my dog is, you, you can go look Victor dog up on the facebook page he's a 
he's a Iceland he's mostly Icelandic sheep herding dog. And so he really likes, you know, getting everybody together. So if he's sitting in between in a circle of like 20 high school kids, he is in hog heaven. <laughs> yes, I got them all in one place. That's Success. right. They're all here and they're they're herded and they're petting. This is all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, the theater and arts are always at the uh, front edge of changing society and stuff like that. So hopefully, hopefully it's going in the right direction. I hope so, too. Now I want to go get a dog. <laughs> yep. Do that, twin. Yeah. You can you, you can have my dog. My husband <laughs> said I can't, I can't get a dog until I stop traveling. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you need to come back to California. That was only a cat rule. I thought it was only the cat rule because you have to clean out the litter box. Although well, I see, he, he took care of the cat because it was his cat. So, you know, he was fine with a cat. But a dog, especially in New York City, you know, you'd have to like take him out and walk him. And it's less easy if I'm gone and he's working 12 hour shifts. So it's true. But that's why they invented dog walkers. True. True. See, okay, I'm going to suggest that next time. Like a nanny. Yeah. <laughs> My boss from this summer, who's, um, his name's Ben Wolf. He lives in New York City. And we went to see puppies. We do this um, rafting trip that sort of like a team builder at the top of the season because you, you're going to do summer stock and everybody's going to hate each other if they don't like each other. So <laughs> he builds the team first, which is really smart. Yeah. And there were puppies and all summer he was obsessing about puppies every time you, you know, cause he, he works really hard, but like there'll be times when a, you just see him looking at dogs on the internet. Like, You're <laughs> going to have a dog soon. Oh no, no, I'm not getting a dog. Yeah. He got a dog. Oh yeah. There's a fine line. You just need a dog yep. sometimes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on our podcast with us. I know it was a bit challenging getting us together, but um, yeah, always scheduling. <laughs> well, it was getting... really fun. Yeah. Thank you. It was a great conversation. And I hope a lot of people, especially stage managers listening to this, will look into the SMA and all you opera stage managers. I'm going to get you to join because we're on a mission to get opera stage managers into the SMA. Yes. They're severely lacking. Yes. So and that it'll... is a goal of ours. I'll be posting uh, the website and all the information about it on Facebook and Instagram when we post on Wednesday and Friday. So nobody has an excuse not being able to look at it. Uh, it'll be on our webpage. So uh, easy access, everybody. Click on it, see what they have. I spent, I think, three hours looking at it, and I'm not even a stage manager. So uh, lots of information. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully we'll keep in touch, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. You guys Thanks. take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.